So I'm standing over there thinking about this message that's coming up, and I'm thinking of poor, poor Andrew here who has to sign as fast as I speak, and this message is about peace. And I think for the next few minutes, poor Andrew's not going to have much peace. I'm sorry ahead of time, Andrew. One week ago, we were here celebrating Resurrection Sunday. It was, it was a great day of celebration. It, it should always be a great celebration. Our, our Lord and Savior Jesus is alive. He is not dead. And Mary Magdalene, woo, yeah, you can cheer about that. Mary Magdalene was the one who went to the disciples, and, and her telling of seeing the empty tomb was, I've seen the Lord. She saw Jesus. She said, I've seen the Lord. And I asked you the question, have you seen Him? Have you seen Him? Would you know if you did? And so today, the risen Jesus appears to a larger group. And what, what's cool about that is that He does this. Now, throughout the rest of the Gospel of John and, and the other Gospels, Jesus appears to increasingly large groups of people. This isn't a secret that He's alive. The whole world should know that Jesus is alive. All the way out to the point that us 2,000 years later should know that He is alive. So we're continuing in John, the 20th chapter. If you've got your Bible, we're going to start in the 19th verse. This is still Resurrection Day. This is evening of that first day that, that Mary went out and said she'd seen the Lord because the risen Jesus appeared to her outside the tomb. And verse 19, it says, "On On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. There's an entire message. There's about five of them in that one verse alone, but we we don't have time for all of that. Jesus comes back and He appears to the very same group of people who had just abandoned Him. This is probably the upper room where they'd had the Last Supper just days before. You think about what happened since the last time they had gathered... Jesus had been put on trial. He'd been left alone. He'd been denied three times by by one of the leaders of the disciples. He had been flogged. He had been made to carry His cross. A man from another country was given the task of helping carry Jesus' cross because none of His disciples were there to help. He was carried or walked outside of town. He was nailed to the cross. He spent time in excruciating pain. We talked about what that means. And He died on that cross with almost none of these people around. They had scattered to the four corners of the city. We know it really wasn't much further than that because now here they are at the end of that first day and they're all back together again. They're scared to death. They're wondering what happens now. What's going to happen to them? They're frightened. The doors are locked because with the body of Jesus gone, not only are the Romans on high guard, but so are the chief priests and the leaders of the church. They've got to do something. They don't want rumors of Jesus being risen to actually be able to last very long. And so the disciples are afraid because they have no idea what's going to happen to them. If the Romans are willing to listen to the church leaders and put Jesus to death, surely these other folks who don't matter nearly as much aren't really going to be much of a thought, and they're terrified. So they've gathered in this room. They've locked the doors. If someone's going to come through, they're going to get to know about it anyway. Their leader's been crucified. They've been told that He's risen. And the Bible says that Jesus appeared. Now, I don't know how He did this. And that isn't the important part. But John Wicks wants to make sure we understand that the doors were locked. 
And Jesus appeared to them. This is a new Jesus. This is the risen Jesus. This is their first experience of Him. He didn't need to open the door. He just appeared to them. And then He walks into the room and He greets them with this very simple, very common Jewish greeting that is spoken in a most uncommon way. What Jesus says is, Peace be with you. Maybe you've heard the word shalom. It kind of means a similar thing. That's not the word that's used here. It's a very different one. It's, it's a godly peace. It's, it's an abiding peace. It's a, it's a peace that we would have in harmony with each other. Jesus walks into the room full of terrified people and He says, Peace be with you. Peace of mind. Peace in their hearts. Why does Jesus say that? Because... He knows they're terrified, and He says, don't be afraid. Why? Because they're feeling afraid. They probably had forgotten what Jesus said back in John 14. He said to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. This is before He dies. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is a man of peace, and He wants them to be people of peace. What are they going to do if they're walking around scared? What are they going to do if they're walking around with their hearts troubled? There's a huge lesson here for us for what Jesus wants in our relationship with Him as well. I wonder living in our world today if we really know much about real peace. Whether it's wars, countries against countries, religions against religions, people against people, you living your life coming to the end of a day. What's going through your mind? How does your heart feel? Do you know real peace? Jesus says over and over that He comes to give us peace. Do you have peace? Do you have any idea what the peace that Jesus is talking about really is? Now, now I think that we struggle with it because we've got this idea of peace that we can do something to bring about on our own. If we change our circumstances, we'll have peace. If I become more financially comfortable, I will have peace. If I change my situation or my location or my job, if I have a different relationship, get old with the, out with the old and in with the new, I'll have peace. And so that's what we try to do and it doesn't work. Those things might change our attitude. They might change our perspective. They might make us feel a little more comfortable for a moment in our lives, but they don't address the issue that our heart is not at peace. And stuff doesn't help us. Jesus is very clear that real peace comes from Him, and His peace is not of this world. They're very, very different things. And so before we go any further, I want you to stop for a moment, and I want to ask you the question, do you know real peace? Do you know the peace of Jesus? Do you know peace that doesn't change with circumstances or feelings or emotions? Do you know that kind of peace? Because that's what Jesus wants for you. The kind of peace that He's talking about is so different, in fact, that He goes on and not only does He say to have peace, but He goes further. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Be not afraid. Jesus knows where we live. He knows who we are. He knows how we think. He knows what goes on in our mind that we don't tell anyone else about. There's a mouthful in those few words. And here's what I know. 
I know that a troubled heart is what we really call worry. You don't walk around telling people, how are you doing today? Well, my heart feels troubled. Eh, I'm a little bit worried. A troubled heart is worry. We talk around here a lot, and what we say is, if you're going to pray and you're going to give it to God, don't worry. But if you're going to worry, why pray? A troubled heart, what Jesus is talking about, is a worried heart. Troubled heart lies awake at night and it worries. A troubled heart worries about things that are most often completely beyond our control, but we spend time, we invest some of the best of us in worrying about it because our hearts are troubled. And if it isn't because it's beyond our control, sometimes it's the result of sin in our life. And our hearts are troubled and we become worried. And we become afraid and we don't know peace. All of which Jesus has come to overcome. How do we know that we can experience real peace in Jesus then? That's a good question. I'll tell you for one thing, because the Bible says that while they're in this room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. 24 hours earlier, Jesus had been dead in the grave. The risen, living Jesus appeared in the room, and He stood before them, and He began to speak. What that tells me is that there's nothing in this world. There's nothing on this earth. There's no power, no force, no principality. There is nothing that exists within this world or outside of this world that has any power or authority over Jesus. And His resurrection to new life and His appearance to those disciples is proof of that. So when Jesus says that He comes to bring us peace, He really means it. He's not talking about something that you can't have. He's not talking about something that you can't attain, that you've got to work really, really hard for. He's talking about peace that He wants us to have. Peace that covers, encompasses, and overwhelms anything that we might be fearing, that we might be facing, or that we might be worrying about. The peace that Jesus talks about covers all those things. We know that we can experience real peace in Jesus Because Jesus is a truth teller and He's a promise keeper and the grave couldn't hold Him because He is alive. If you don't have peace, Jesus wants you to know peace in Him. Verse 20, When He, Jesus, had said this, He showed them His hands and His side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I find it interesting that they're not glad when He shows up. They're glad when He proves it's Him. We're going to talk about Thomas in a little while here coming up down in the next week or two. Thomas says, you know what? I'll believe it's you, Jesus. I just want to see. Show me the, the holes in your hands and the, and, the, and the mark in your side. And we think, wow, what's wrong with you? The other disciples, they'd already had that chance. Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. Doesn't say they're happy. Doesn't say they're glad. Doesn't say they're anything. The one that keeps talking is Jesus. The Bible says they're only glad when he's proved it. And I'm thinking, the reaction of the word glad strikes me as odd. Everything that they believed in, this man they believed in, had been put to death in the most horrific ways. Had been put in, the, in a tomb and buried. Mary came and said, he's alive, I've seen him. And now he's standing in front of him and the word is glad? I'm thinking these guys got a lot of Scandinavian in them. 
Because there's no way the emotion was glad, overjoyed, ecstatic, over the moon, beyond, over the top, thrilled. That was what they felt. But what the Bible says is that they were glad. And I think about our world today. We talk about this Jesus that's risen and all the things that He's done. And we hear testimonies and we see lives changed. And you know what our response is? That's nice. Maybe we can muster up glad. But here's Jesus standing among them saying, I want you to have peace. The proof for them was in His hands and His sides. Seeing is believing. What they understood, Jesus had paid the price for their peace. And they were glad. And Jesus has paid the price for your peace. How does it make you feel? Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Again with the peace. See, Jesus knows that's what our heart is struggling for. We desire peace, and yet it seems so elusive. And Jesus says again, peace, as I've been sent, so I'm sending you. See, there's something that's going on here. There's something that's building. But we struggle for peace, and Jesus knows it. It's why He says it twice, back to back. So what do we do to try to find peace? I'll tell you what we do. We medicate ourselves with pills of every kind, trying to still the noise and settle the anxiety in search of peace. I researched this week trying to find out how much of that do we do in America. It's staggering the tons of stuff that we take in search of peace. And Jesus says, I came that you might have peace. We medicate ourselves with alcohol and illegal drugs in, in search of some glimpse of momentary peace. We've even decided in America that the thing to do now is to legalize marijuana because, you know what, that will make you feel better. That will give you peace. At least you won't have the stress and the anxiety. That's not real peace. That's an imposter to peace. The peace of the world is a lie. As I'm thinking about it this week, I realize that the peace of the world is a lie and it is sold to you for the price of your soul. By the father of lies, the author of death, the devil. The world tries to tell us that we can buy or pursue or read about or practice peace. When Jesus says, I came that you might have peace. And what the devil does is lies. The world's idea of peace is a cheap, easy-to-get substitute for the real thing. It maybe makes us feel better in the moment, but it does nothing but make us feel worse in the end, whether it's drugs or alcohol. Maybe the way that you try to find peace is by spending money, by by running around, by, by pornography. The world says that surely you deserve it, in air quotes. And we go, yes, I do, and we believe it. And we think that there's peace there. And we find that all there is is misery. We accept that destructive imposter in place of what Jesus came to bring, which is soul-soothing, heart-healing, life-changing peace of God in Jesus. I came that you might have peace, He said. And yet we take it upon ourselves to chase it down, run around, and look for it everywhere else. And then after the issue, the, the idea of giving us peace, Jesus gives the first great commission. He ends up doing two. He says, As God has sent me... So I send you, sent you to what? To, to proclaim freedom. 
But peace isn't in the stuff of the world. Peace is found in me. To announce the coming of the kingdom of God, Jesus is, to, is sending the disciples to bring the good news of Him to the world. The good news of Jesus, of His life, His death, of His resurrection, of the only true and lasting peace that we can have that's found in Him, of salvation that comes only from Him. And the thing that's really included is that while this was spoken to the disciples, we're included in all of it. Because Jesus wants us to have peace as well. And Jesus sends us out to our friends, our family, our neighbors. The people closest to us to sometimes are the hardest ones to talk to. But you know what? They need peace too. The peace of Jesus. As God has sent Him, He sends us. To our friends, our neighbors, the people we work with, our communities, our families. But then he goes on in verse 22. He says, when he has said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I would love to have been there that day. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's close to Jesus. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I love it because it's like father, like son. Jesus is doing what he knew his father had done. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Adam looked like a human, but he wasn't living until the breath of God was breathed into him. He was just a thing. And when you go back to the Hebrew, the word that's used is ruach. Ruach, we've talked about that before. It means breath. It also means spirit. He breathed into man his spirit. And man became a living thing. We're not really alive until we have got the breath of God in us. We were created for God's ruach. It's then that we are truly alive. And when Jesus breathed on his disciples... And gave them the Holy Spirit. They became newly and truly alive. You are never going to know real lasting peace outside the living presence of God's Holy Spirit within you. You're not created to. The Spirit gives us the very breath that is our life of the, and the enemy of God wants us to suffocate. And so the enemy of God fills us and surrounds us and convinces us that we're going to have real peace and we're going to feel really alive with all of these other things that do nothing but kill us. God wants for you to live in freedom and enjoy His peace, and the devil wants you to live in bondage to Him and to the tools that He uses to fake peace and happiness. And as Christians, we're as caught up in it as anybody else is. Because we don't truly understand the peace that Jesus is talking about. So you say, well, maybe, maybe you say, well, you know what, I wasn't there that day. Some people say, well, the Holy Spirit was for back then. The Holy Spirit isn't for anymore. Holy Spirit isn't around now. That was a then thing. This is a now thing. Besides, I wasn't there. Jesus didn't breathe on me. I was prepared for that question, so here we go. Are you ready? Turn in your Bibles to number, Numbers chapter 11, verse 26. A little Bible aerobics this morning, right? 
There's a whole gathering of people that are with Moses, and 70 of the elders go out, and the Holy Spirit descends on them. They begin to prophesy all these folks that do outside of the tent. But there's two guys that remain. The two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they hadn't gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. Here's what that tells me. The Holy Spirit knows exactly where you are. You don't have to be in the right place at the right time to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows where you are right at this moment. The question is, will you receive the Holy Spirit? Thomas, you know the disciple Thomas, talked about a minute ago. Thomas isn't here this day. Jesus didn't breathe on Thomas. But wherever Thomas was, the Holy Spirit found him because Thomas went on to a life of ministry and evangelism every bit as significant as those other disciples. The Holy Spirit found him where he was. And the Holy Spirit will find you where you are. In fact, the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you are. Are you open to being filled with the Holy Spirit? See, the day of Pentecost is still to happen. That comes in the book of Acts. We're, we're a little bit of ways away from that. But this is the record of when Jesus delivers the Holy Spirit to each and every one of those disciples. And we know that faith and godly wisdom and spiritual growth and maturity, being able to see and to know Jesus in a personal way, all comes from the Holy Spirit. You don't decide to become those things. Those things come to you through the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be disciples of Jesus in order to truly submit our lives to Him. We need the Holy Spirit to help us with that. To carry forward the good news and to live out His great commission, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to live outside our own sin, our pride, our arrogance. We need the Holy Spirit in order to, excuse me, to forgive. We need the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, Jesus says, they're forgiven them. This is just after he breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. The very next thing he says is, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's a heavy statement and a heavy responsibility. An awful lot has been written about that. Here's the first thing I want you to understand. The only one who can forgive your sins is Jesus. Am I right? I've been criticized on occasion that I don't stand up here and pronounce an absolution of that your sins are forgiven. It doesn't come from me. It comes from Jesus. I can't forgive your sins. I can say I forgive you if you've done something to me, just like you can say you forgive me if I do something to you. That's very different than Jesus forgiving our sins. Are we clear on that? But he gets to that point as well. To withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What does that mean? What it means is, that we are able to release or to retain the sins of someone against us. Think of it as the responsibility of them. You can release someone from the sin. You can forgive them. Jesus is the one who really forgives them. When Jesus forgives a sin, it's forgiven, it's forgotten, it's remembered no more. When we forgive sins, we had a harder time forgetting. But you know what? At the very least, we have a responsibility to forgive and to release sin. Why is that? Because sin is toxic. Sin is poison. And when you hold on to someone else's sin, when you retain it, the Bible says you got the right to do that. When you retain it, guess who is the one who gets poisoned? You do. You hold on to enough of that garbage, and what do we know about sin? It kills. 
Holding on to sin of other people causes grief and anger and frustration and all kinds of things. If you retain other people's sin without forgiving them, you're the one who gets poisoned. Remember what Jesus said when He was hanging on the cross just before He breathed His last breath? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. By example, Jesus said, I forgive people who don't even understand what they've done wrong. We are to be like Jesus. And if we don't, if we retain it, there is nothing good that will come from that for us. True peace, lasting peace, it only comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from you becoming a better person on your own. Our forgiveness comes to us from Jesus. And then we in turn extend that forgiveness to others as we have been forgiven. Jesus offers the only peace that isn't rooted in the ever-changing roller coaster ride of our feelings. The up and down, unworthy to be trusted nature of our emotions. If you're looking for peace there, you'll never find it. One of the greatest and most dangerous deceptive lies, lies of the devil that far too many Christians and now entire denominations have bought into is that our feelings and how we think about things and what we prefer to believe matter more than the unchanging Word of God. There is no peace in that. When we change the Word of God, suddenly when we start calling things that aren't sin, not, or things that are sin, saying that they're not sin, there is no room for forgiveness and there is no peace that follows. We think it's the nice thing to take it easy on people and not tell them what the Bible says because the Bible hurts. But you know what happens? We end up hurting them because they're not able to experience forgiveness. There is no peace in that lie of the devil. All that it does is separate us further from God. As Christians, we're to be men and women of peace. We're to be people of forgiveness as we have been first forgiven. We're to be people who share the good news of Jesus and who share the peace that we have found in Him with everyone we can. We're to be examples in our lives of the love of the One whose name we take on when we begin to call ourselves Christian. Have you ever thought about that? If you call yourself a Christian, you've taken on Jesus' name, Christ. Kind of like what happens in a marriage. You become a part of His family. You have a new name. You accept it. The new name is called Christian. And we start living it as an example of Him. How in the world are we able to do all of that? By welcoming God's Holy Spirit into our hearts and by allowing Him to guide our thoughts and actions, not by relying on our feelings and preferences and wants. There's a reason that a lot of churches, and maybe you are a part of one of these, maybe you've come from one of these, they end their, they end their gatherings with the phrase, and I'll let you help me here, they end it with the phrase, go in peace. This passage today, it helps us to understand that we're to be people of peace, God's peace, and that our lives are to be lived serving the Lord. Go in peace, serve the Lord. That's what Jesus is telling them. Be people of peace, and then go tell people about me. Go in peace, serve the Lord, welcome the presence of the peace of the Holy Spirit within you. 
And be generous with your forgiveness as you have been generously forgiven. And the only way that that happens is when we set ourselves down and we submit ourselves to Jesus and we allow ourselves to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for what it is that you have done for us in the life and the death and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus. Thank you that we have the example of these early disciples, these men and women who did so many things right and then they did so many things that we can look at that we can understand what not to do. God, thank you for the truthful record of these events that's contained in your word. God, thank us that Jesus, thank you that Jesus died and was raised from the grave that we might have peace. We wouldn't need to worry about our lives, we wouldn't need to worry about our deaths. And we wouldn't need to worry about what happens with us after we die on this earth. All of that can be known and assured when we put our faith and hope and trust in Him and when we begin to live as His disciples. God, to everyone who is open to the Holy Spirit being at work in their lives, that is understanding, a peace that doesn't change with our emotions, and a peace that cannot be taken away. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, we made a change last week to our Wednesday nights, and I want to make sure that you know about this because it was awesome. Uh, we, we are moving Wednesday nights, still doing a service, still 630, still worship service, calling it Growing Deeper. It's no longer a repeat of Sunday. It's now its own thing. And uh, Pastor Jeff uh, last week talked about evidence for the resurrection. It's a more in-depth, deeper time of teaching than what we get to do on Sunday. And it was awesome. He's got another one this week. Pastor Rich has one coming up. If you have any interest in digging deeper into God's Word and just expanding how much you know about it, this is an awesome opportunity. It goes for about an hour, 6.30 Wednesdays. I would invite and encourage you to attend. So as you leave here today, go in the peace that comes only from the risen Jesus. There is no other imposter that will satisfy you. There is nothing else in this world that you can buy, beg, borrow, or steal that will truly give you peace. Go and share the good news that you know about Him and what He means to you. That's all that people want to hear. Why do you believe? That's all that you need to know is why it is that you believe in Jesus. Be a person of forgiveness even to the people who don't deserve it who don't begin to understand what they've done to you. Forgive them even though they have hurt you. Forgive so that you can begin to release the pain of the offense. Forgive so you no longer hold on to the pain of what has been done to you. If you don't know peace and you want to, please go talk to our prayer folks. They'll pray with you. They will pray that God brings you peace. They will talk with you a little bit further about what that means. Everything you talk about is confidential between you and them. But if you don't know the peace of Jesus, don't leave here without it.